Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is The Michael Dukes Show. Uh, We are, uh, oh man, it is, uh, everything was fine up until just a few minutes ago. Uh, (laughs) We were trying to, I've tried to get everything taken care of and uh, all of a sudden the... uh, the, the the simulcast won't work this morning, so we're it's okay. We're we've got it all done. This is why, this is why, my friends, we multicast the program on many different outlets across the state of Alaska. Um, this morning we um, we're we're we're, we're going to just be on. Apparently on uh, we're just going to be on YouTube this morning. That's uh, that's how it's going to work. So we're going to uh, we're going to fix that, and uh, it's all good to go. Good morning. How are you? How, how, how are you doing? It's Thursday, in case you hadn't guessed it. Whew, man, what a scorcher across the state of Alaska. Last night, the thunderstorms, big rumble, no rain. <laughs> Lots of lightning strikes somewhere north of us, no rain. <laughs> so I can I can only hope that wherever the lightning was striking, it was raining hard because oh man, it was uh, it was a thundering thundering hard last night, and we could really really use some uh, some some wet stuff here, getting a little crispy around here. Uh, but just a beautiful beautiful day, beautiful morning around uh, around the state of Alaska. And we are ready to dive into it today. We are full. We're got full. We've got lots of stuff. We've got lots of stuff. We're going to start off this morning um, here with a few headlines uh, from around the state, uh, including the latest on the um, uh, election, the special election, and what's happening there uh, with the with the withdrawal of Al Gross. From the race, we'll get some details on that. Some of the other things, including some rankings. President Biden, uh, by the way, has uh, has weighed in and is calling for gas holidays and and uh, and demanding that the oil companies and the refineries, um, you know, basically shortchange all their shareholders and instead reduce the prices to consumers because, I mean, that's legal, sure, um, and everything else. Uh, so we're going to cover all those headlines and more. Plus, this morning at about uh, 25 after, we're going to be dealing and talking with um, uh, dealing and talking with uh, Kevin McKinley, who is a Republican candidate for House District 35. So uh, hoping that uh, we'll get a good conversation with Kevin in here this morning. We'll chat with him about uh, that race. That is the only race, by the way, that has more than five candidates. 
So it will be the one race that is actually decided um, in the in the primary. I mean, all the other legislative races have got less as four candidates or less. So every one of those guys is going to proceed on into the general for the rank choice voting. But this one's got five. So somebody's got to lose. Uh, Kevin McKinley is going to come in and talk to us about why he shouldn't be one of those, why he or he shouldn't be that guy. He's good. He wants to move on. And we'll talk about that here with uh, uh, we'll talk about that here with him. Uh, then in hour two, we will be graced by the presence of Donna Ardwin, uh, former OMB director and economist uh, who is going to come in and talk with us today about. Well, the ranked choice voting, we'll talk about the budget, we'll talk about the, the, the CAFR and the audits and all the things that have come up here over the last few weeks. We were hoping that by today, because it was, uh, uh, like I said, a little birdie told me that uh, midweek or late week, the governor would have the budget out. So it didn't happen yesterday. I kind of expected it to, but it didn't. And so we'll, uh, we'll have some discussions with her on that as well this morning uh to discuss and yes no no facebook this morning it uh did not want to talk to me at all so that's uh unfortunate but that's uh that's just the way it is some things will never change um (laughs) it's not often i get to quote bruce hornsby in the range on the program but there you there you go that's uh that's what i wanted to do all right. Um, so headlines. Where 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 do we start? Where do we start? Uh, this is an interesting story. Um, we had mentioned this and talked about this here previously. The uh, the Division of Elections had been working on some challenges to uh, candidate eligibility for a couple different candidates. David Eastman was the favorite target for this. Um, although Lyman Hoffman also got a challenge. We know that because um, Willie Keppel, who is a listener to the program down in Quinnahawk, um, <clears throat> he, uh, he filed a questionable candidacy over residency for Lyman Hoffman, so we know about that one. Uh, but the Division of Elections received 24 challenges to David Eastman's candidacy based on his affiliation and membership with the group Oath Keepers. Um, And finally, the Division of Elections Director Gail Fanumiai came up and, 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 and weighed in on it. She said in a written response yesterday, as reported by the ADN, that the complaints, uh, that according to her, those complaints um, said, uh, that were not valid. She said to the complainants, a preponderance of evidence supports his eligibility um, and that the Division of Elections um, is not uh, is not going to proceed any further. Uh, they did provide copies of the complaints to the Associated Press. Interestingly enough, um, the division, uh, the, uh, that all the identifying information about those who challenged Eastman, their information was redacted from the request, although it wasn't redacted from the man who challenged Hoffman, who we know to be Willie Keppel, because he uh, shared it here on the program that he was doing so. 
um, <clears throat> according to the uh, Division of Elections. And it's interesting that they redacted all the information for the ones that challenged Eastman. The division determined that the identities of those who challenged Rep. Eastman's um, eligibility should be protected because of the nature of their allegations. I don't know what that means. I mean, they're challenging him on his right to represent his uh, electorate based on, you know, membership of a group that, I mean, he's not charged with anything. He hasn't done anything. He, you know, nobody, nobody said he was storming the Capitol or anything else. But just merely by the association, which sounds a lot like McCarthyism, but I mean, you know, just with the nature of the association, they're doing it. But somehow that the division independently determined that the identities of the challengers should be protected because of the natures of their allegation. Now, there was a previous story where they named a bunch of the people who were challenging because those people were not too shy about it. But uh, at the same time, that seems a little um, hanky to me. I'm just saying, if you're going to challenge somebody, you probably ought to, uh, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go to the dance, you got to pay the pay the ticket, right? So um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, they have decided that uh, he is eligible at uh, at all points. Uh, Fanumi, I said in responses to the challenges to the candidacy, that the division reviews uh, the quote the relevant evidence it has, including candidate registration cards, the declaration of candidacy, and that it can review public records held by other state agencies. And uh, she said in her response letter that the division reviewed Eastman's voter registration records, declaration of candidacy, and was unaware of any relevant records held by other state agencies. So there you go. Uh, Eastman and both Eastman and Lyman Hoffman are continuing this morning. Um, You know, there you go. There you go. Uh, The other big news is in the race for uh, the Don Young seat. Um, Republican Tara Sweeney, according to the ADN and Must Read, say that... uh, They do not plan to sue over a finding released by the election officials that say that Sweeney can't advance to the uh, special election. Uh, Sweeney's campaign manager, uh, uh, Karina Waller, was quoted as saying, We made the decision that it is not a candidate fight. This is on the ranked choice voting procedures that the voters approved, and this is not our fight. Uh, Of course, this all came to a head when, uh, when Gross pulled out of the race. And, uh, and is, uh, you know, said, you've got two beautiful native women, you know, or two native women who are ready to go. Anyway, he's basically was saying, Tara Sweeney, step on up. Here you come. Uh, Sweeney said she believes she should be moved to the fourth place position and that voters should have four candidates to choose from. She said that the process of ranked choice voting in the jungle primary has been confusing and expressed frustration with it. Um, Fanumiai had said that anyone who disagrees with this decision should sue immediately because they have to have everything decided by the courts next Tuesday so that they can print the ballots. Uh, they, but again, the Sweeney campaign said that they are not, they are not interested in suing 
the Division of Elections. Uh, some of the other organizations, including the Alaska Native Regional Corps and ANSCA, the regional association, said that they had no plans to sue the Division of Elections either. But Must Read Alaska did make a note, which I thought was uh, interesting. Uh, they uh, made a note that said uh, the, camp, the campaign from Sweeney hints that there may be some kind of interve- intervention. There was a quote, another quote from uh, Karina Waller, the campaign manager for Sweeney, that says the special election has not been certified yet, but it looks like Nick Baggage has already called in the lawyers. Our campaign will continue to wait for the election to be certified while we do not intend to litigate the division of elections current opinion. This matter may ultimately be decided by the courts. So maybe they know something that we don't. I, I just you can't tell at this time. Um, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Interesting to say the least, but we'll be watching closely for that. But at this point, I expect that we will probably have only three candidates on the ballot for the special general election uh, for Don Young's seat coming in August. And we'll see what kind of dynamic this throws into the mix uh, since Al Gross pulled out of both the special primary or special election and, from my understanding, is pulled out of the general election in August as well. Um, and so we'll see, you know, we'll see what's going on, but no, there's been no, there's been no indication that anybody is filing anything at this point. Uh, baggage did not go to the courts. His attorney sent a letter to the division of elections. That's where Gail Fanumiai's, uh, original statement came from because they sent a letter to the division of elections asking for clarification on what happens now. That's, uh, that was their letter to the courts. Uh, but no, I don't think Begich, I mean, Begich would have no interest in challenging this in court anyway. Why would you want a third Republican candidate in there splitting off some of your stuff? It'll be interesting. Uh, all right. Well, that's the headlines for right now. I've got a scorecard, too, which I wanted to get to. There's an interesting scorecard article up on uh, Must Read. If you haven't had a chance to uh, if you haven't had a chance to read it yet, there's got some interesting stuff in there. You might want to go peel through that. Meanwhile, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back in here, we're going to uh, be talking with Kevin McKinley, candidate for District 35 up in the Esther area around Fairbanks. We'll get uh, his hot take on everything that's going on. We'll return with more of the Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, um, Free Thinking Radio. We'll see you then. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Hi, folks. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, man. It was, uh, I mean, I tried to restart the program like three times this morning. Um, I guess we could take a poll. Uh, if you want me to try and restart the broadcast on Facebook, I can do that. Um, I don't know why it doesn't pick up. I'm not banned or anything, or I don't have any, you know, there's nothing wrong. I don't know what's going on. Uh, if you want me to, um, if you want me to stop the broadcast here in the break and try and restart it again with Facebook, 
Just type yes in the chat room right now, and if I get uh, – there's 39 of you or something, 38, 39 of you. If I get 15 to 20 yeses in the chat room, I'll stop the broadcast and we'll try and restart it on Facebook again. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, you tell me. You tell me. Uh, if you don't want it, say no. Um, I'm totally ambivalent either way, uh, other than the fact that I've got to call Kevin here in a second. Um, but you, you tell me yes, if you want me to stop and then try Facebook again, no, if you want me to just remain where I'm at, we'll just give it, we'll give it a shot. So I got two yeses and one no. Um, or if you guys just don't care, it's fine. I mean, you know. It just doesn't matter to me. If I don't get if I don't get 15 yeses, then I'm just not even going to bother. I'm just going to stay. I'll stay strong. I put a link up on the Facebook page um, telling people to come on over here um, if they want to try it. I At this point, I'm ambivalent. I am ambivalent to that. I just don't. I'm so frustrated with things that don't work like they're supposed to or that work every day except for one day they just randomly stop working. At this point, I'm just like, I'm I'm over it, man. I'm over it. So, uh, it's all good. I don't like this chat, says Susie. Well, I mean, I hear you. I hear you. It, uh, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely a little bit of a different take for sure. Well, so do me a favor. We've got 40 people watching the show on Facebook. Why don't you share? You can share this. You know, there's a little button down there that says share. You could still share it to Facebook. So like and share the program this morning and we'll give it a shot. We'll see what it looks like. All right. Um, okay. Let me get let me get Kevin McKinley on the phone. And see, uh, there we go. Let me get let me get him ready to rock and roll this morning, and we will go on from there. Oh, Mike, I'm sorry. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning. Good. Good. You uh, you ready to rock and roll here? We got about a minute and a half. Oh God, I am so sorry. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Take your time here. Get uh, get some get some uh, get some coffee. Get ready to go. We'll I'll be right back to you here. You're uh, I got you on hold before we jump back into the show. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, let me see. You'll get more followers on YouTube, says Greg. It's five o'clock somewhere, says. Yeah, only two people said yes. So, I mean, I guess we're just going to suffer through on YouTube today. That's what it's going to look like. We're going to suffer through on YouTube, which doesn't bother me at all. Not at all. It's absolutely fine. Uh, we'll try it out today. And then all those people who went to Facebook and are like, where's my show? They'll have to. They'll just have to come to YouTube. That's how it's going to work. Oh, man. Uh, all right. You guys uh, ready to do your thing? Ready to dive into this and uh, get everything all ready to go? I know, uh, I know, I am. All right. Um, just realized that something was something was not right. 
There we go. 30 seconds. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now it's ready to go. That's uh, that's the time frame. We are ready to go. All right. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Let's do it. All right. Uh, good morning and welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Ready to dive into it with our guest and uh, get a chance to uh, get a chance to chat about uh, everything here this morning. Kevin McKinley, candidate for House District, used to be five. Now it's thirty-five. Up in the interior, the Esther area, again, the interesting thing about Kevin's race is that it's the only race that will actually be decided by, um, it'll, it's the only one that actually will be decided by the, uh, by the uh, uh, primary because every other race has four or less candidates, which means that all four of them will proceed to the uh, general rank choice voting election. Uh, in Kevin's race, there's five. So... Uh, He's going to come in and tell us why he's the guy for the job. Joining us right now, Kevin McKinley. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Michael. It's uh, it's a beautiful day in your neighborhood. A little bit smoky up there today, I hear. Oh my gosh! If you're wondering why my 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 voice sounds a little bad, is the smoke is so bad that I've actually got a sore throat. Oh man, a little adenoidal, a uh, uh, little adenoidal swelling in there. All right, well. Maybe we'll get you a gas mask for Christmas or something, so you can you can make it through the Alaska summers. Um, all right, well let's uh, let's dive into it, Kevin. Uh, you and I had a conversation before um, uh, before the filing deadline and everything else, and you were debating, uh, you know, whether or not you should run again. You you know you were you were having some you were thinking about it and weighing out all the options and everything and. And, uh, and, you know, when I left it, when I'd left you on our phone call, cause you and I had had a conversation about it, Kevin and I are friends, by the way, in case you folks are trying to figure it out, Kevin and I are friends. We chat now and then about stuff like this. Uh, I wasn't sure what you were going to do. Uh, and then I was pleasantly surprised to see your name. So what was the final push, my friend? What, uh, what nudged you over the edge? I, I think the, the, the final thing was, uh, looking who filed, you know, we've got, um, Ashley, Oh, I, I have a hard time pronouncing her last name. Carrick, I believe. Uh huh. Who is uh, Adam Wool's um, chief of staff, or was her his chief of staff? And then there was Tim Parker, who was the president of the NEA. And I just looked at the two candidates, and I said, "Well, I think we need um, a different option out there." And so I put my my hat in the ring, literally at the last moment. Right. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting to look at the conglomerate of candidates. I mean, you're already fighting an uphill battle because you're in a district that is purple to blue. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, conservative uh, feeling in that district, and uh, so it's a it's a you know it it becomes a tough race. Um, what um, you know what has been the reaction so far to people that you have uh, talked about or talked to in the uh, in the district? 
as far as you running and everything else, what's the overall feel from the electorate right now? You know, I've, I've been really pleasantly surprised as I'm out there door knocking. Um, a lot of people were glad to see me back in the race. You know, obviously I had some reservations about having two other races against, against Adam um, where I didn't get across the finish line. And so that was also on my mind quite a bit. You know, as a person that's lost a couple of races, be able to, are they a viable candidate to run again? Right. And the, the reaction has been very, very positive. Well, it's uh, it's good it's good to hear, and I'm glad to see you uh, are in the race. For folks who don't know who you are, listening there in Fairbanks on uh, KFAR in Fairbanks, um, and what uh, you know, g- give us a little background about Kevin McKinley and where you come from. Let's see, I you know graduated up in Contribute back in '81, which I didn't think was that long ago until you start really looking at the the calendar and realizing <laughs> it's quite a few years ago. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not that old. Um, you know, from there, I, I did a few different things, worked at a bank and, you know, tried to start a couple of different businesses that, you know, worked for a while and then went on to do something else, you know, being young. Um, went to ACC, if people remember, ACC was Anchorage Community College. Um, right. And, yeah. And then, you know, I started a business that I ran for, for quite a few years and then, Later on, I, I started a business called Body Piercing Unlimited, and I've been doing that for you know 32 years now. So it's uh, yeah, we must be getting old because uh, <laughs> I I remember when that got started. I mean, I uh, apparently I am feeling old, and you decided, uh, you know, interestingly enough, you decided to throw your hat in the ring here a few years ago because. You just had enough. I mean, it was just what was the you know were your sensibilities as a businessman uh, you know offended by what was going on? What was the what was the initial push to get you to run in the first place? You know, the the very first race I did, I was gonna I started offering for the um, borough. That was my intention, right? And then I got a call from the Republican Party that said, "Hey, we heard you were going to run for the borough. What do you think about running for?" Um, your district, District 5. And I said, well, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. And they said, well, um, I'm here to uh, talk you into that right now. And, and we had a, I would say, gosh, a long conversation, probably, probably an hour and a half. So I decided to do it. I was nervous about it, never did anything like that before. And took when I decided to do it, I took the, the idea very seriously. I wasn't just running to run to get some experience. Um, I ran to win and ran my heart out. And obviously, I, you know, I, I came up short. Um, I got a lot of experience, got to really know the district. Right. And uh, it was it was a really neat experience going through that. You get to meet a lot of interesting people in your district. And as I did that first race, I learned more and more and more um, of why the people wanted something different as, as well as I did. Right. And part of the thing that I wanted differently as a business guy is you looked at what was going on in Juno and you said, oh my gosh, you know, um, let's do a budget. Let's do a budget. Let's do a real budget. Let's do a zero base budget. budget. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's do a real budget. And I think that's what a lot of people, especially business people have seen is they've watched what's happened over the last, especially over the last six or seven years 
where they've uh, you know drawn down 14, 15, 16 billion dollars out of savings and regular business people go, oh, that's not that's not how you that's not how you're supposed to do it. I mean, you know, either make the revenues match or make the spending match, but you can't do what you're doing here. You know, continue. Not for long. Yeah, not for long. It's definitely a self-licking ice cream cone. It's going to go away after a while. Um, so, I mean, budgets are a huge thing for you uh, in that regard. Um, and the other thing, of course, I mean, are, is your district talking about the the PFD? Is your district talking about the P? Or is ranked choice voting a big thing right now? What what is what are what are your, you know, for me walking the streets when I ran for the borough assembly, my favorite part was meeting the people and talking to the people and working with them. What what are your folks telling you right now? What's their hot button issue as we come into this election? You know, it's really hard to say that there's one hot button issue because the district is so large that there's really a diverse group of people in there. When you start looking at the different precincts, you know, if you look at Lakeview or, or the the Dale Road area compared to, let's say, up in Chena Ridge and Chena Pump, you know, you, you get a, a very different group of people. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that have different views on, on, on the PFD, for sure. Um, but I would say overwhelmingly, if you want to try to put those together to see if they, they've got any common ground, it's that let's get this decided and, and quit um, going back and forth on it. Quit fighting over it, right? Put, yeah. Put, yeah, put it out of reach. So your personal uh, you know, philosophy on this, on the PFD, um, I mean, do you think it should be enshrined in the Constitution just to get it off the table? Should it be just decided that way? Should we have a, a spending cap? Should we cut the PFD? Should we just have a leftover PFD? Should we follow the current statutes that's on the book? What's Kevin McKinley's take on the PFD right now? Well, you threw a lot of different different choices. And I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just. Gonna, I'm trying to. I'm giving you multiple choices. That was like a PFD salad. There. It was. It was. And I'm trying to give you multiple choice here. So, but it, but tell us. Tell tell me where you're at here. What what are your thoughts on the PFD overall? Well, first thing that I'd like to say is personally, as far as what you know, my my thought is just uh, a regular guy out there in the street is that I do like it. You know, and, and as a business guy, it really helped me in my business, you know, when, when the PFD season right. came around, uh, we knew that we could kind of bank on that time and, and it was better than Christmas. And so I knew that there's a lot of other businesses that really count on that besides just the individuals. You know, there's a lot of individuals out there that really, um, for better or worse idea, they really kind of put that in their budget. And when they started changing the PFD, there's a lot of people that had to make um, some pretty severe lifestyle changes. And I would say that my biggest thing is is that um, let's choose a road and go there. Let's choose um, a road and go. There. So you're not yeah. you're not necessarily married to the idea of the full PFD, or I mean, would you like I to do, see you would know, you like to see him follow the statute at least? I'd like to at the very least. I want to see him follow the statute. Um, I think it's going to be hard to get uh, Juno to decide to do a full PFD forever. I think that's going to be a really hard road to go. Um, and to do that, we're going to have to have a really a, a big group of Republicans in there, you right, know. And, right. and even some of the, and, and as you probably see, there's a lot of Republicans that don't like the, the idea of a full PFD. Right? No, they would love to, they'd love to spend that on government, right? I mean, that's the people's money, but they would love to spend that on government instead of uh, following the law instead. 
Well, the, the other problem is, is that when you say follow the law, there's conflicting laws. You've got the PUMV, and then you've got the um, the original formula. It was, and I'm, I'm losing a date here. It's in the morning um, when, when the PFD started. Right. And so it's it 79. Like, yeah, 79, 70, 80. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the thing is, that law was there first. So should we, re- should we, should we repeal SB 26, the POMV, or should we repeal the statutory formula, or should we at least enshrine one? And, you know, I mean, that's the question. Here's the thing they created the problem with these conflicting laws. Um, and and shouldn't the people have a say in this, Kevin? I mean, shouldn't the people, I, if you're going to change the formula, shouldn't the people have a a, a, a say in that? You know, I, I think the people should have a say in it. Um, although I also believe that the you know the people elect their representatives to go down there and, and make decisions um, for the state, and, and so I think that's something that um, or that, that is the way the government works. And it seems like our legislators don't want to even bring up the topic, let alone um, decide something. Right, right. And and, and and when I'm going back to the idea of knocking on doors again, um, in my district, the biggest thing that people would say is do something. Quit making this to where this is an issue where it sucks up so much time. It sucks up all the oxygen out of the legislature. Right. And that's that's really the biggest message I get. And, and that really covers from, you know, the really nice affluent neighborhoods to the very, um, I don't want to say poor neighborhoods, but, you know, less affluent neighborhoods. And I think that's the biggest common denominator of everybody is do something. Right. Well, and quit, and quit, and quit making this, you know, um, <laughs> A topic that we just sit there and fight over. I mean, you could be in the barber shop and get into an argument about the PFD, and all of a sudden you got people, you know, angry and, you know, I don't want to say screaming at each other, but, you know, having very, very um, aggressive arguments. Is that, is that, is that right. a good way well, to put it? I guess, yeah. I mean, contentious for sure. Aggressive, I mean, probably as yeah. well, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it is a frustrating thing. I mean, they're again treating it like a uh, you know a, a volleyball. They keep lopping back and forth across the net at each other all uh, all the time, and we spent the last five, six, seven years just doing that. You know, creating uh, you know the most contentious environment in the legislature that's possible. So you're you would work towards um, either you know giving people a vote on it. Either you know fix the PFD formula, follow the law, or change it, but give people a voice in it at the same time. I think that people really like the idea of having a voice. There's a lot of people out there that would like to have their voice voice heard. Um, my district is really interesting because you know you've got to remember, like you said, it's a very blue district. And then yeah. um, Esther, I don't know if you know the parts of, of Fairbanks very well, but a big part of Esther got added to my district, which is very, very blue. And it's it's known as one of the, the precincts that um, votes heavily, you know, as a precinct. Right, so, right. No, it's a, yeah, it's definitely an uphill battle for you. I mean, again, it, with the changes and everything else, it has gone more blue than purple. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're you're definitely facing an uphill battle. So walking in with your uh, with your you know Republican elephant spurs on and trying to kick stuff around and say 
you're going to make all the changes, probably not going to fly uh, in a lot of, so you're going to have to walk softly on this and, and yeah. try and figure it out. And the, yeah. And another thing that, that my district, I would say overwhelmingly wants is, is somebody to go down there and actually work with people and work with legislators instead of just, you know, doing stuff to not get anything done. Right. Um, would you, I, hear that, I hear that a lot, for better or worse, yeah. Well, and, and again, it puts you in a tougher situation because, again, uh, you know, you can't come off as a complete, uh, you know, as a uh, conservative ideologue because, you know, you wouldn't get the nod, you know, you wouldn't get the nod to be able to go down there and do that. But would you work with the, uh, would you work, uh, you know, with the Republican majority if there's Republicans down there? Or would you go work on a Democratic majority? I think a lot of people want to know that because we've seen that happen, obviously, with Kelly Merrick and others who are Republicans. More and more we've seen that. Yeah, yeah. They've had the opportunity to caucus with Republicans, but instead they went ahead and caucus with the Democrats. Where would you stand on something like that? You know, I, I put R behind my name and... and, and you know, somebody asked me, do I want to put an I, you know, as an independent? And I, I told him, absolutely not. I'm a Republican. I'm right. not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to, you know, but, you know, cloak myself. And, you know, do some people say I'm a moderate? You know, I, I, I guess that um, I have that label out there. Well, I mean, um, I, 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 I want, but I do want to put a Republican majority. One of right. the things I'm tired of is that. We work really hard to get a Republican majority, and and we'll get really excited about about that and say, "Oh my gosh, look at this! Look what we've done! We we've, we've created a Republican majority," and then something goes sideways, and we're like, "How did we just lose this?" Exactly. Well, I think that I think it's a valid point. I think it's a fair point, and I want to continue that here in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Kevin McKinley, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Back with more right after this. Hey, don't touch that button. That that was not the button to touch. Sorry. Hope I didn't blast your ears out. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to continue in this vein here in just a minute uh, with Kevin uh, because, uh, you know, I see that there's already some comments in the chat room that Kevin may not be your cup of tea because he's not strident enough on certain things. But the problem is if you let's, for example, let me just let me just throw this for an example out there. We're going to cover this when we get back to the radio. So I don't sure. I don't want to go too much into this. But if you plonked a David Eastman or a Mike Shower down into Kevin's district, the possibility of them winning is very low because, again, it has to do with the makeup of the district. Yeah, Kevin. I mean, he is a moderate Republican, and I don't have a problem with that because, again, that's the place that he lives and that's where he's at. And he's got a better chance of doing of, of, of helping the majority and doing those things, even though he and I may not always agree on everything because that's, you know, that's it's going to give him an opportunity to win over this district. And maybe, maybe through his, uh, you know, being <clears throat> being Republican but being able to work on those things, but willing to work inside a Republican majority, that'll help us. So I'm not one to throw the baby out with the bathwater, personally. That's just that's just me. So um, uh, let's see. Uh, Juanita says, who has Kevin talked with in Juneau? Or I would gay it would it would be uh, it would be the whole state. But who has Kevin talked with in Juneau about the history of the fund, the budget? 
and things like that. Have you have you had any conversations with uh, other experts or anything else, uh, Kevin, um, as far as yeah. uh, the history of the fund and the and the budget in the state? You know, when you look at the history of the fund. <clears throat> excuse me, I've got smoky throat here. When you look at the history of the, of the fund, I think we've really strayed far away from it. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm losing names here in the morning. Um, the original creator... Uh, Hammond. Hammond. I was trying not to say it, but I didn't say right, um, Hammond, you know, it, it was a permanent fund. It wasn't like a semi-permanent fund. And I believe that, that we've really strayed far away from the intent of this. And I really think that the Supreme Court made a mistake and, and made it to where this is an appropriation. I think that's really where um, oh, I've, things I've, sideways. I think you and I are and, in total agreement on that, for sure. You know, um, if, if I could snap my fingers, I would I would undo that and, and go back to the way this thing was. And, you know, it, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't that the permanent fund was causing the problems. It was our budget that was causing the problem. Right. And they tried this, sh- you know, short, quick solution of tapping into that. And once you let the genie out of the bottle, it's really hard to put it back in. No, I mean, I agree with you totally. I mean, that's the thing. This was not a problem of the PFD bringing down the budget. The problem was the spending is what was bringing down the budget. And for years, the PFD was a simple uh, it was a simple transfer. It was not an appropriation. It was not money in, money out. You could thank Bill. And that was the first call. Yeah, and and you could thank Bill Walker for changing that up, uh, and then the courts for backing it up. I mean, that, I agree, and I think that's a perfect answer for what you know for what you see is the real problem. The problem is not the PFD. The problem was not the people getting their slice of the money uh, of what they were owed. It is, in fact, <clears throat> the the budgetary process and the people who are spending the PFD. So I, uh, I totally. And it's a great question that. too. It's a, it's a great statement too because when you really start looking at the, the history of the PFD, what's really interesting is is that some people will take that that history and twist it too. And, yeah, well, um, because it doesn't match their narrative, Kevin. I mean, that's what, you know, they've got a narrative and that doesn't match their narrative. I mean, the bottom line is the PFD is our share of the return on the investments of our shared oil mineral rights, resources. That's what it's about. And yeah. and the government's supposed to get half and we're supposed to get half and, and we were supposed to have first call. And they are, they've started to ignore it. You know, before we, we get off this topic, I, I want to, I want to say another thing on this. This um, questioner uh, that this um, listener had is a really intriguing question. And really what got me super interested in, in the history of it, I was watching, um, you know, the, have the, the legislature, I was on KTO, was it, um, Gavel to gavel, gavel to gavel, yeah. Gavel to gavel, yeah. And they would have these little shows in between, you know, the session and stuff, right? Because they have to have contents, you know, besides just the legislature. And they had the history of the PFD, and they they had um, all these interviews with Hammond in there. And he talked at great length about it, and it was really interesting. And if yeah. you haven't had a chance to watch that, you really should. It's a yeah. great interview. No, and all those are available on YouTube. You can go watch them. You can read his book called Diapering the Devil. You can find it online yep. and read. I mean, it, it, there's no – it's not – 
it's not a secret as to what his thoughts were on this. And they treat it as if uh, they're not really sure what the intent was. But it's pretty clear what the intent was. Kevin, hold the line. We're about to jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. All right, we're continuing now with Kevin McKinley, candidate for House in now the new District 35. Uh, before we went to break, I was just a couple of people in the chat room have said, uh, well, you know, this guy doesn't sound like he's uh, uber conservative. Um, and I don't think Kevin ever claimed to be. But again, think about his district. Uh, I would rather have a moderate Republican in there than a stalwart Adam Wool Democrat. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Kevin may not be. Uh, in 100% agreement with me, but at this point, um, he's the best. Uh, he's the best chance we've got of helping to solidify a Republican majority. And you're saying, yeah, that's who you'd be working with because you're. I think you and I had a conversation about how frustrating it was to watch, you know, Kelly Merrick, um, you know, self-destruct the uh, the entire uh, Republican caucus that was coming through. And that's something that you, you know, it, it upset you. You That's that was hard to watch. It was. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific. And so you definitely would stand with the Republicans in this and not split off to the, to the coalition majority or whatever, because again, like you said, you've got the R on your, on behind your name. You've got the elephant on your lapel. That's what you believe in. Uh, and you may not believe in, you may not agree on all the specifics that every other candidate uh, or or Republican does, but you are standing on the party platform, right? That is correct, and and you know I believe that um, sometimes you just have to um, accept that you're going to be in the minority too. Which, when you talk to a lot of legislators down there, um, it's absolutely awful. Yeah, um, but sometimes you know you just have to. That's the you know that's the cards you were dealt. And I think that I, I would rather be in the minority than um, kind of switch sides, so to speak. Yeah, well, because again, um, that's a hard that's a hard moniker to shake off. That's a hard mantle to shake off when you do turn coat. Uh, it's a hard thing to uh, to to uh, to run against. Um, and, and, and before we get off that. It's one of the biggest questions I get when I go to events and talk to people. It's 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 all that question is always there. So I'm glad that person asked that. And, and, um, it's it's I think um, candidates are going to always have that question: is are they going to stand by the party? And are they going right. to you know join a join a, uh, a coalition? Right. Well, and, and it, the answer is, is that I'm going to be with the Republican Party. Well, and I think, again, the reason that everybody has it on their mind is because they've seen the devastation that can be wrought from something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin McKinley is our guest. District 35, by the way, it was the former District 5, now District 35 with redistricting. It's up in Fairbanks and it includes the Esther and UAF area. So, again, a pretty blue district. Um, how have you reconciled that with some of uh, some of your people that you've talked to, Kevin? Because again, obviously, it's not all Democrats or or you know more progressive folks. There are there are some Republicans and conservatives in there. But how do you reconcile your position, you know, to people who come up to you and go, "Oh, well, you're a Republican. I would never vote for you." Yada yada yada. What's uh, you know yep. what's what's your answer on that? 
you have to just accept that there's going to be some people out there that you're just not their cup of tea. They're not going to vote for you. Right. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of blue out there. And when you're knocking on doors, there's a lot of times you just don't know what you're going to get. You know, we have these little apps that try to help us get an idea of, of where we're going, but you know, there's a lot of use and, and <clears throat> excuse me, use and ends out there. And so literally when you knock on the door, anything could happen. And I've been, you know, escorted off the property, get out of here. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's happened. You really? just got to smile and, and, and go on with it. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Okay. We'll see you later. Don't shoot me. Um, all right. But, ranked, but you know, ranked choice voting though has, has changed that a lot. Right. Well, and yep. so you, you, you have to talk to these people a lot and say, well, you know, I, I may not be your first choice, but you know, I'd like to be your second or third choice. And that, sure. that conversation now is, is really important. Well, maybe that's a silver lining. I mean, we were going to talk about ranked choice voting and everything that's going on with it. Maybe that's the silver lining in this is that uh, you now can say, hey, I might not be your first choice, but, you know, could I at least count on you for my second, for being the second choice? Um, that's an interesting, I mean, it really comes back to a different strategy altogether now. Like you said, you know, my, my race, um, is the only race out there that's got a jungle primary or qualifies for a jungle primary, you know, and, and ranked choice voting will be definitely a factor in there. Right. Um, and I, and I definitely have some, <clears throat> some opinions on whether we want to continue this primary system. I mean, you only have one race in the state that qualifies for it. You know, did we make the right choice? Is this, right? you know, something that, that we want to continue and, and look at the cost of doing this? Right. Well, what Kevin's talking about is with ranked choice voting in the jungle primary, the jungle primary has every candidate on one ballot and the top four vote getters then move on to the general election to be ranked one through four. But in this state right now, of all 59 legislative seats that are up, Kevin's race in District 35 is the only one that has more than four candidates in it. So every other primary is essentially just a poll. It's not even really a primary because it doesn't affect it. Every candidate is now going to move on to the ranked choice uh, system as well, except for in Kevin's district, one of them is going to have to be left behind. So you're fighting to make sure that that doesn't happen, right? That's, I mean, you're, you're fighting to be in that four. And now, interestingly enough, you do have, it does give you a, a crutch to walk in on with people when you're talking to them, even if they don't agree with you. Can I count on you for number two? Uh, that's a, it's an interesting take. It's, it's definitely, you know, a new experience, you know, and, and you're having different conversations with people. And there's a lot of people out there that, you know, aren't happy with ranked choice voting because it, it was promised to be something more simple. And I've surprisingly had a lot of conversations with Democrats that are coming out now and saying, you know, I don't really like this. And I just kind of looking at them and go, yeah, well, I don't, a lot of the Republicans don't like it either. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how, what's the strategy for ranked choice voting? How do you go about it? Right. And the one thing that we're finding out is that um, the campaign is going to take more money. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's, absolutely. That's, that's yeah. Probably the biggest thing. Um, Kevin, so that makes campaign hard, campaigning harder. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, you have a website up, Kevin. I, I didn't see a website for you. You have a website up yet? We're in the process of getting that up. It should be up, up here like very soon. Um, the, making the decision to, to 
uh, joined the race at the very last minute, kind of put me at a disadvantage. I'm behind just a little bit. Yeah. But um, it's it's almost ready to hit the button. Okay. All right. Well, less than a minute here. Final thoughts, Kevin McKinley. Why should they vote for you in House District 35? Hit me with it quickly. You know, I'm a, I'm a very pro-business um, education and, and, you know, um, uh, um, public safety. Uh, and those are about my three big platforms. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that Alaska needs is, is, a, is a, a friendly business environment so we can have this thing grow and do the things that we really want to do out there. And I think that one of the things that will help that is having a, a legislature that's actually ran a business and has written a paycheck. Right, exactly. That's a big plus for sure. Kevin McKinley, a candidate, House District 35. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll visit with him again soon. Kevin, thanks so much. We'll go a little deeper next time into your thoughts on the PFD and the budget. Thank you for being part of it today. We appreciate you coming on board. Not a problem, Michael. Glad to be here. All right. Hold the line for just a second, Kevin. Folks, we got more coming up. Donna Ardwin's going to be joining us in Hour 2. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Kevin, I wanted to give you just a chance to uh, one final bite at the apple, so to speak. Uh, what uh, Just to see what uh, your thoughts are on um, uh, if there was anything that we missed or anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to uh to shout out about so here's your here's your opportunity my friend you know I, I think that one of the things that Alaska needs um, and that we really have to look at is, is um, us losing population and losing a lot of young people here mm-hmm. and the reason and the reason that we're losing a lot of the young people here is there's no opportunities or, or very few opportunities and so you'll have them go to school whether it's high school or college and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know is they're leaving. And um, we need to change that. If we're, if we're going to grow the economy, um, we've got to fix a lot of different pieces in there. Yeah. Um, well, and when you talk to the business people, one of the things that they want is consistency. And they want to be able to, to plan. And it's, you know, one of the biggest things that um, I hear from the business community Well, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the PFD has a big effect on the economy overall uh, between government uh, regulation and interference. I mean, as a pro-business guy, uh, you know, any regulation uh, or requirement, I mean, you've had to deal with probably DEC and and all the other different uh, state organizations. Any kind of regulation causes problems. And then, of course, the PFD being taken affects the economy as well. Those opportunities are, are taking out. You could create a business in this state if you knew that the economy was going to continually get that inje- injection of uh, cash flow every year and everything else. So, I mean, I think that makes sense. Yeah, we need a pipeline from, from education to jobs. You know, yeah. jobs fix a lot of problems. And if you look at the state now and the whole country, you know, everybody's screaming about needing, you know, more workers and and. So we have to compete in that environment. We need, we need to keep the people that are up here. We need to compete for them. Absolutely. Kevin McKinley, my friend, thank you so much for coming on board. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the smoke. And uh, we'll find you we'll find you a gas mask or something you can be <laughs> squeezing oxygen through. Thank you, my friend. Good to talk with you. We'll talk with you again soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for calling in and joining us this morning. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Kevin McKinley. Um for House District uh, 35. All right. 
Um, let me go over here and uh, uh, one more. Yep, there we go. Uh, let me reach out to the one and only Donna Ardwin. See if we can get her on the line. Coming back in. Good morning. Good morning, young lady. How are you doing? Well, I don't think you can call me young, but thank you. Well, I'm doing well. lovely young lady. I, it's my prerogative as an old man to do that. So that's uh, that's how it is. Um, uh, well, I'm not saying I never ask. I never, you don't ask a lady her age. That's not how it works. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, are you about ready to uh, jump in, jump on board here? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Um, I was hearing myself back. I'm hearing myself back in your phone. Are you listening online at the same time? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, but I, I am on speaker. I just, Okay. I was just, I'm hearing myself back. I was hearing myself. Now I'm not hearing myself back. Okay. okay. All right. I just want to make sure we're not getting the echo. Oh, it's still echoing a little bit. Maybe hmm. we can try it off the speaker just to make sure that yeah. we're... Yeah. I'm off it now. You're off it now. And look at that. No echo. Okay. Must have been your speakerphone. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, I apologize for making you have to hold the phone, but... Uh, We'll be right back to you, and we'll uh, we'll get back into this here in just a second. Okay, let me uh, let me jump on board. Uh, Donna Ardwin, our guest, and uh, we're going to talk uh, about some of this stuff. Thing, I see Susie said something about uh, that you should vote for Reuben McNeil in District Thirty Five. Uh, Reuben McNeil, Reuben McNeil is Adam Wool's is is, is is I don't know. Okay, vote for Reuben McNeil. I'll. I mean, just why? I guess. Guess my question is why. <clears throat> either one would be good. I would be happier with either one of them than than Wool Staffer. Thor. No, that's the other one. I can't remember what his staffer's name is. Anyway, either he or the NEA guy. I would be happy with that. But uh, why? I'd, I'd like to know. Just and Susie didn't respond, so I'm just curious as to what the deal is there. Uh, Everett says Fairbanks is dead set against PFD Raiders with few exceptions. Um, well, I mean, I guess it depends on where you're at, Everett. Uh, people in the university district would probably love to raid the PFD. They like that. That's They're not dead set against the Raiders. They support the Raiders. Um, I mean, you've got Bart LeBon and Steve Thompson and Click Bishop. They're all PFD Raiders. So is that really true? Now, I know Elijah Verhagen is running against Click Bishop. Um, and he is, uh, we're going to have a conversation with him here in the near future to talk about that. But I think your statement is overly broad and, and really doesn't hold up. If Fairbanks was so dead set against PFD Raiders, they wouldn't have reelected, you know, Steve Thompson, Bart LeBond, Click Bishop and everybody else. The only two things you can say about that is, is that Rob, um, Rob Myers and Mike Prax got in. But again, that's from the most conservative area of the whole interior. So <clears throat> I don't think that that necessarily um, uh, going through. Ashley Carrick, I'm sorry. Thank you. It's a she, not a he. My bad. Uh, Ashley Carrick was uh, Adam Wool's staffer. Mm -hmm. uh, but the part of town that we were talking about, again, was very bl purple to blue. And they definitely are against, they are definitely against uh, uh, or for rating the PFD, I guess I should say. 
All right. Uh, Donna Ardwin is our guest. We're about to dive into this and talk with her about, uh, well, a little bit of everything. We were hoping the governor's budget would come out and we'd have some comments on that, but maybe she can speculate a little bit. We'll talk about ranked choice voting. We'll talk about um, uh, the budgets and uh, CAFR's audits. We'll get a master class here in just a second. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Bay's Free Thing and Radio, kicking off in 60 seconds. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find the live stream, the podcast, all the social media links, and uh, everything else. And live around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, which you will also find a list of those on uh, MichaelDukesShow.com if you want to go over there and find it. Uh, simulcasting today only on YouTube and Twitch. I don't know why Facebook wouldn't pick up, but that's okay. If you want to find us, we're out on YouTube right now. Just search up my name and you will find the broadcast. Joining us in hour two of the show today, our guest. Love having her on because she always fills my, my you know, it's, I get a I get the good kind of headache where I get so much inf- good information at the end. I'm trying to sort it all out. Donna Ardwin is our guest, economist, former OMB director. Uh, we brought her on today for a couple reasons. First, we thought that the governor's budget would be out today, that the that the vetoes and everything else would be announced uh, because he said they were going to do it midweek to late week. It looks like it's going to be late week, so we'll, we'll probably have Donna on again soon to talk about that. Meanwhile, we'll talk with her about, uh, you know, the audits and the CAFRs and everything else and the budget as a whole. So that's the... Uh, that's the plan here uh, as we bring her on. Donna Ardwin is our guest. Good morning, Donna. How are you doing? Morning, Michael. Uh, I'm, I'm terrific. Good. It's good to have you on board. Thanks for uh, coming on and joining us. I don't know. We got, uh, I got, I got some crackling going on. There we go. There we go. All right. Um, so, Donna, let's, uh, I guess we'll get a start. You and I were expecting that the governor's budget would should be out, and we thought he was going to say something yesterday about it. Maybe it'll be today. Maybe it'll be Friday. I had people inside the inside the squirrel cage telling me that it was going to be midweek. Uh, uh, but any kind of indication from you or people that you've talked to or people that you still know as to what we should expect from the governor's budget this uh, that comes out or his his take on the budget? I mean, are you expecting a whole slew of vetoes, uh, a handful, none? What what are you seeing here? Uh, you know, from behind the scenes, so to speak. Well, I don't have any inside information, but based on past performance, I wouldn't expect a lot of spending reductions. Right. Um, he may, if I was advising him, 
uh, veto some of the shenanigans that went on, you know, moving money from one fund to another. But actual spending reductions, probably not. Right. How about the forward funding? Is that something that would be an easy, is that an easy, uh, you know, uh, choice at that point? I mean, does that money then, you know, and, and where does the money go if he did do something like that? Yeah, that was in, under my definition of shenanigans, gimmicks, <laughs> um, yeah. what Arnold used to call trickery, budget trickery. Right. It, it won't have any practical effect. That money's going to go into the CBR one way or another because you cannot, in Alaska, fund beyond the end of a fiscal year. Right. Um, so, but still, if I were he, I would veto it. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, you and I have talked about that. It's what I call voodoo voodoo accounting, where they, you know, basically shuffle money back and forth and say, look what I did. I saved us money by, you know, but what they've really done is moved it from one account to another or accounted for it differently or whatever. This is part of the problem. I, I think this is why Alaskans, Americans, but Alaskans in general, specifically in this, in this case, are so frustrated because we keep we keep hearing these stories about oh we've done this we've done that and yet when you look at the actual numbers you look at the spending you look at the accounting of it you realize but that's not what it looks like but in their mind they kind of justify it with some of this you know pot shuffling and everything else i mean is this is this kind of standard in every state or is alaska just like a special case uh well not a special case uh, i have worked in some of the worst states when I arrived in New York, Illinois, and California, uh, for example, a lot of that had gone on in the past, and the governors I worked with spent a lot of time with me, you know, cleaning it up. Alaska this year, um, as you know, it, it got worse right. during the session, and you've had guests that have talked about this, you know, members, the good members of the legislature, but they also went about this year in my opinion, trying to find every mattress to stuff money in so right. that they could claim they couldn't afford the PFD. Right. And, and and can you give us some examples of that? I mean, they're taking money. Are you saying like general fund money? They're forcing it into other programs or other uh, pots of money and then saying, look, Ma, no money left? Or is that is that is that kind of what was happening? Yeah, see if memory serves. You mentioned the forward funding of education. Um Moving funds into the statutory budget reserve, which is fine, except then they use that to tell the agencies they can overspend. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, I was just thinking of a, there's some things that they legitimately did, you know, mm -hmm. paying for oil credits, tax right. credits that they would have to pay for in the future. That reduces future budget liabilities. But I am trying to remember. I know Brad covered covered many of them. Right. But uh they were just, oh, one good thing they did, which relates to the audit, is that in uh, one of the big audit things from the Walker administration was they deposited $199 million into the general fund that was supposed to go into the permanent fund mm -hmm. just because the Walker administration wanted to spend it, and they did. But because there was money, a lot of money this year, the legislature actually paid that that money back to the permanent fund. Oh, Okay. And that was part <clears throat> that was part of our audit question that we, you know we we've had that there's been a lot of questions about audits. Uh, we've talked. Uh, you were you were listening to the program uh, when we interviewed the Libertarian candidates for governor, and one of their prime directives, one of their primary planks in their position was 
that the CAFRs uh, and the and the and the audits and things like that have never they're not paying attention to them. They pull them up, they do them, but then they they basically just sh- I guess shove them back in a drawer or whatever. So can we talk about that for a second and talk about the purpose and function of audits and CAFRs and what does that mean for you know what does that mean to the average person? Tell you know explain to me, talk to me like I'm five and tell me exactly what this all means. Well, there's there's two things to discuss. One is that those are end of year report cards. The year is done. The book, books have been closed. Every state, like every corporation and not for profit, has to put together consolidated financial reports after they close their books, and then they all have an independent audit. In most states, like Alaska, that independent auditor is an independent uh, employee of the legislature. Right. Um, so you do all of those things, but there's also, and and as your libertarian candidates pointed out, there's some clues to be found in there as to what's wrong with the system of financial controls in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, but they begin, you know, before you get to the CAFR. And we can just talk about the process briefly. Sure. The financial controls, <laughs> I won't go into too much detail, but the uh, the important things to know, they're set up by every state's legislature um, when they put together the s- system of government. They're also set into place by the statutes that guide how money should be spent. And then, of course, the appropriations bill, which is the budget bill, and how it's structured and how much detail is provided in there. Then uh, in most states, by the way, I always had to tell the legislature that we had to get the budget signed by the 1st of June. Right. Because there was so much detail in appropriations bills that had to be loaded into the state accounting system. Right. And there was only one person who would sign any checks that went out of the state. And they wouldn't do that unless it was very, very clear that any invoice an agency wanted paid for was in keeping with statute, was in keeping with the legislative uh, appropriation authority for that, and that there was money left in the appropriation to spend. And they it, they had to have it signed by June the 1st to do it. Here we are the 23rd. We still don't have the budget out and available. What what does that do to the – I mean, what does that do? What's the what, – what is functionally – what does that do to the state and the spending and, and uh, the budget as it sits now? So one of the first things that your guest noted about the CAFRN, if you read it, you'll see this, is that budgeting, spending authority lies with the agencies in Alaska. And so they can just start spending money. It's very, very different than, than other states with the complex system set up. Moreover, the Alaska legislature um, gives broad authority to agencies to move money between lines. So it really doesn't matter what the detail is. Right. I, and I'm being a little hyperbolic, but compared to other states, I mean, in Alaska, there's one line for the university system. In other states, even where they're board of governors, there is, I'll say in Florida, every university has detailed appropriations and told what they can do with the money. And by the way, the performance contract that's associated with that, like you have to graduate students in these majors within four years and keep your tuition below 10,000, things like that. Right. None of that takes place. Right. It's a single line. And and you were talking about moving money between lines. This has been the big argument about having um, funded but unfilled positions in various departments. I know 
people. Somebody just mentioned Tammy Wilson in the in the chat room. She was one that she documented. I mean, there were there were hundreds of unfilled positions in the budget. And if you've got a position that pays, you know, seventy to a hundred thousand dollars a year and you have it don't have it filled, then that's money that you're saying that their authority gives them the opportunity to move that money into some other part of the budget afterwards and just do whatever they want with it inside their own budget, right? Right. So the legislature could change that. Um, but I feel for Tammy and the other members, the good Republican members who are trying to trace these things down and figure out how to save money, because the administration can always stay, you know, three steps ahead of them. And what do you mean by that? I mean, you, when you say well, it's three steps ahead, like when, they found some they found some positions and the administration goes, well, what happens? Well, the administration. Well, no, we're using that money for something else. <laughs> then, then why so aren't you, it can't be. Then why aren't you appropriating it for something else? Why are you appropriating it for a but, position that's unfilled? I mean, I, I guess that would be my question and argument. Because the legislature gives them the authority to do that. Right. Right. Um, the other and, thing, the other thing that the legislature does and has done traditionally in the appropriations bills, I think this is a Walker device, but uh, is also tell them that they can overspend their appropriations. So remember the, I hate to get into the complicated, but the CBR votes. Right. We spent a lot of time talking about the so-called reverse sweeps. Right. There was an, There's another CBR vote that took place every year. We didn't put this into um, the governor's first budget, but the legislature does, which says, by the way, if you want to overspend, you can pull, you know, so many hundred millions of dollars out of the CBR. And they have the legislature vote on that at the end of the budget and says, by the way, here's, they call it a backstop. Here's a backstop of a few hundred million dollars that you can spend. This year, I, I believe, oh in, in their attempt to not have to give the minority any input into the budget. Right, right. The, the House Republicans, for example, in, in the budget, they said, we don't want any three-quarter votes this year. So they first appropriated the money into the statutory budget reserve, which is just a part of the general fund. Right. And then they said, now we're going to give you a backstop out of the statutory budget reserve. <laughs> wow. I mean, they, I mean, the, lunat the lunatics are running the asylum at that point to say, here's all the money that we're going to give you. Oh, and you've got this other money you can go into if you really want. I mean, there is no incentive for these departments to run smoothly or efficiently or, you know, fiscally responsibly because – well, hey, we've got an extra $100 million that we can draw off of if we really need to. So go ahead. I mean, that's essentially what you're saying. Right. So then you get to your, your guest talking about the CAFR, and then we've talked about the the audit, the financial audit of the annual financial statements at right. the end of the year. And so one of the things that you see in the audit reports, and Bill Wilikowski points it out, is that there's a lot of overspending by the administration, in, including under the Dunleavy administration. I, look, Donna, I got to say this. I've been following this for a long time, and I had never, this is the first time in 24 years of doing this program that I've ever heard about the backstop 
and understand. And this is why we need you on the program. You, you, Donna said, just for folks out there, she's like, well, I hope I'm not too dry. And, and we need this information. We don't know this. I mean, we're not following every discussion and we don't understand the accounting procedures. The fact that the legislature, I knew that they could transfer money with inside their own, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, budgets and, and things like that. But the fact that they have been given authority to draw money out of the CBR, now out of the SBR, on their own because they've overspent, that's insanity. I mean, that is, where is the incentive to, you know, create the most fiscally responsible budget within your own department or your own, uh, you know, your own agency? What, what, and is this unique to Alaska? That is, um, as I said, and most states have an independently elected controller or chief financial officer who puts these systems in place where they will not send out a check to any vendor of the state unless they've approved that it's in accordance with detailed appropriations and st- and statute, which right. we haven't talked about yet. Right. Well, I, I let's hold the line here. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're, I'm trying, I don't even know the direction I'm going. So I'm trying to ask Donna questions as I think of them here because uh, she knows so much and it's like trying to take a sip from a fire hose, you know, get your lips blasted off. I'm trying to get all the information I can. I want to talk about the statute. I want to talk about ways, Donna, that you see that we could fix what we're doing. I mean, do we need a comptroller who is the one person that's responsible for that instead of agencies having the authority to do that? Should we take down the backstop? I mean, these are things, I mean, I think these are questions that need to be answered, but we're up against the break. So we're going to be back here in just a minute. Uh, Don't go anywhere. Donna Ardwin is our guest, economist and former OMB director. Uh, We're going to continue with her in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Now, somebody in the chat room, uh, 147 degrees west, just said uh, the supplemental is a thing. Uh, but what you're talking about with a backstop, that's actually separate from the from the supplemental, right? Or is that is that part of it? Explain that to me. It's it's both. Um, good good question. The the administration shouldn't be able to spend without an appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the supplementals will then allow the legislature to give the administration additional appropriations with a simple majority. Right. That was really the point of doing the backstop. So they didn't have to go back and get a three quarter vote every time they needed a supplemental. Right. But the second part of that is they overspend anyway, which is part of what you see in the state auditors, um, financial audit. Um. I mean, Donna, again, I I don't know what I don't know. You know what I mean? And so it's hard to it's hard to try and and figure out where to go with this because this is so crazy to me that um We've got agency. I've often said that what we need to do is we need to find a way to incentivize agency heads and things like that to uh, 
you know, to take their spending and uh, and and to maximize it, to make it fiscally responsible, to deliver the service that is required of them for the least number of dollars expended. Instead of, I used to work, I used to, uh, I used to sell automotive parts. I, used, I was an outside salesman for an automotive parts industry, and I used to call on DOT, and it always made me, uh, uh, you know, raise my eyebrow when in, you know, late, you know, early late May, early June. The, uh, the guy would call me in and he'd walk me through their warehouse and say, okay, I need three of these, six of these, eight of these. And he's already got some on his shelf. And I was always like, I don't understand why you're spending all this money. Until later on, I realized it was because they had that much budget to, you know, instead of allowing it to go back, they were trying to spend every dollar of it. How do we incentivize, in your mind, the agencies and the individuals to get them not to overspend at that point? Great question. So I did mention the legislature could change the way that it provides um, appropriations and certainly a backstop um, to the administration. But to your earlier point, do we need uh, an independent controller? Um, no, you just need a governor who is willing to do this. All these agencies, the agencies work for them. Right. We'll make one I will give you one caveat because this one of the second big issues that your um, Libertarian guests pointed out on the cappers, there are a lot of things that are off budget. So I'll get to those in a minute. But okay. the the Alaska, when I got to Alaska and I saw these problems, I said, well, it's a, you know, it's a young state and it's not large. So they don't have all the systems in place that others do. But I did find some, not on my own, <laughs> um, some great statutes that made me happy, which um, give OMB a great deal of authority. First of all, to um, require the agencies to have management plans and second, performance measures. And those statutes are being, I would say that the letter of the law is being upheld, but they're really not being used vigorously like as they could be. So uh, a, a governor can do that and have the require the agencies to have detailed management plans before they spend any money. Right. And, and performance measures. Is it the governor's decision to allow the uh, to allow the uh, uh, agencies to have that spending authority, or is that a legislative thing? Uh, the well, the agencies, the legislature gives the agencies a spending authority in the appropriations bill. Sorry if I'm not answering your question properly, but the, they're also supposed to get uh, an approved management plan from the uh, OMB, which is part of the governor's office. Okay. So what you're saying is basically just some of these, some of the processes are not being followed then. I mean, they're in place, but they're just not being, they're being ignored. Yeah. They're not being vigorously adhered to. Hmm. One of the, one of the other issues, um, I'll just get to my main takeaways as I talked about statutes. Uh huh. The Willikowski decision, the judiciary, said that I'm using my own words and this and this is a question I have in every state and the judiciary decides it differently in every state but which trumps um, appropriations are statutes appropriations are one-year laws made by the legislature right uh, so if there's a conflict the judiciary usually makes that determination they made the determination in Alaska that hold on hold on our- hold on Donna I'm sorry we're up against the break or we're returning here I well let's restart with this here Donna Ardwin our guest the Michael Duke show here we go
Continuing now, Donna Ardwin, our guest, economist, former OMB director. Wow. Uh, we got into some interesting stuff during the break, so we're going to continue that right now. Uh, we were talking about statutes, uh, and we were talking about uh, different interpretations of statutes and the importance of the Wilikowski decision uh, as far as uh, legislators deciding that they can or can't, uh, uh, you know, answer these things. Donna, uh, let's restart that uh, portion of the conversation here. Yeah, so we all know that the judiciary in that decision said if appropriations, which are one-year laws, mm-hmm. are in conflict, in conflict with statutes, um, that appropriations uh, trump statute in Alaska. But the, legi- but the judiciary did not say that the legislature can ignore laws. And so, you know, um, when Joe Geldof and I were on your show one time, he was talking about SB 26 that none of us like, or at least speaking for Joe and I um, and some of your listeners. But that that statute cannot be ignored. Right. It's not an appropriation. And the, the, the all of the other statutes that the legislature that are supposed to guide them that aren't appropriations are it cannot be ignored similarly and i always tell people i know this is a shock that your constitution says that the governor's job is to faithfully execute laws which of course is literally the job of the executive branch Mm -hmm. right right (laughs) so the administration is not exempt from um statutes adhering to statutes. And one of the things that you see in the financial audit as well is when the auditor says, hey, you guys have ignored statutes. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, yeah, ho-hum, and they move on. Right? I mean, that's right. there's, of- there's, there's no recourse. Yeah, exactly. There's no there's no uh, penalty for that. And I, and I think that is... Uh, I think that's an um, enormous amount of frustration for people, both I- in the you know the general public and uh, and those who are kind of fiscal warriors in the legislature. Is that it, you know how it, how can you fix it if the system is so fundamentally flawed that people just flout the law in the case of the legislature or in the governor not fulfilling a statute in that way? What do we what do we do, Michael? I don't know if I said this in the break, but I'll repeat it. You know, a governor can. Yes, the legislature can change the way that they um, allow the administration to spend money right. and the fiscal controls of the state. But a governor also can control all of these things. And so what it takes is a strong governor who's willing to do it and willing to, I guess, buck the tides of popularity or whatever to follow the law and do what actually it, it do what actually needs to be done. That's correct. Okay. There's one more bombshell. Okay. With your um, a big one that your um, your guests referred to, I believe, in the capper. Yes. Which is that there are all of these entities that are part of the executive branch that are off budget. Right. I definitely want a description of that because when I mean, how does that even work? To off budget stuff definitely sounds black booky and all kinds of stuff. It, it does. So you have. The corporations of the state, the mm-hmm. one legitimate corporation, in my opinion, the permanent fund corporation, the rest of them. Again, Joe Geldof and I talked to you about all of the reasons why we find them prob- problematic. Right. Um, but one of them being that they're off budget, the University of Alaska as well. So when you look at the financial statements, you'll see their assets and liabilities. But 
you don't see revenues and, and expenditures. Right. Um, the legislature doesn't budget the revenues and expenditures. So they're, you know, they're running their own governments. So they have all the assets show up and everything else, but whatever monies they take in or whatever monies they expend, none of those are 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 really seen by the public or or available for auditing purposes or whatever else. So these corporations, which are really just agencies with a corporate logo on them, I, I guess I'm paraphrasing here, but they're essentially being able to do whatever they want as long as their assets and everything show up on the books. Nobody else really cares. Well, and the legislature doesn't get that information either. Um, I recall a meeting when uh, when Reven then Revenue Commissioner Bruce Tangeman and I asked one of the corporation's um, staffs to come in and, and take us through their books. And, you know, the outrage was just tremendous. Like, how dare you ask us to show us our books? Oh, yeah, it was it was a tough meeting because they were not happy about it. Um, University of Alaska, when we started going through and working with them, right. saying what kind of what kind of reductions can you take and how long does it take to implement things, you know, take us through your processes. It took us. I, I had some great folks sitting in a room with their finance staff for days, hours and days just to even try to sort out their financial information. Well, I mean, just on the face of it, Donna, that just. I'm sorry, and pardon my naivete, but that just doesn't seem right uh, that these corporations could be taking in and expending monies, which are essentially public dollars, and doing whatever they want and then not having no accountability to report them back to anybody. How I mean, how does that happen to begin with, and how do we fix it? Well, so it can be fixed. And when I went in front of the finance committee and said all money is green, right. um, I, was, I wasn't I was just talking about the, the different funds of the general fund. I was also talking about all these off-budget um, corporations. Now, you can put together an all money is green budget, but you have to have uh, a governor who's going to tell the corporations that they need to do that. Yeah, because, I mean, that's really concerning to me that you've got these organizations that – uh, again, they the, the it, and it sounds like it's almost uh, perfunctory that they're just like, oh, here's our assets and everything else, and that's all you get. Now give us our budgets, and we'll do whatever with them that we want, and we you don't ever get to see exactly what happens with it. Is that am I shortcutting right. that correctly? Uh, no, correctly. And the legislature exempts those corporations from the administrative code. Um, when uh, Kelly Shabak was. Uh, Department of Administration Commissioner, she and I wanted to go into the books of some of these corporations, but she didn't have the authority to do so. So the so they've got the wink and the nod from the legislature to do whatever they want to do. They're exempted from the code so that the administration, which is supposed to have the oversight of all these things in executing the budget, has no way to verify it and look at it. And this is how we're doing business in the state of Alaska. Yeah, and then the the courts just made it worse by saying, "Hey, if you want to take these one of these unconstitutional <laughs> dedicated funds, my editorial opinion, mm -hmm. um, the PCE, all you have to do is stash it in a corporation, and then it's off budget again. It's off budget. It's out of reach. The administration mm -hmm. has no way to look at it or even talk about it or have anything to do with it." Uh, <laughs> 
I'm, I got to say, I'm, I'm a little blown away this morning. It's not usual that I'm speechless, but at this point, I'm speechless. The solution to all this, Donna, again, comes back to a strong governor who is willing to take this on. But obviously, if the legislature can exempt these things from the uh, uh, from the, the administration's authority to audit or edit or look at even, uh, then it's also going to require some cooperation from legislators. Well, the the corporations are under state agencies, so uh, I think a strong governor could do a, a lot by himself. I, I I mean, we just need a like I said, we need a master class to break this down and understand it, because even I, who've been following this for a long time, and I'm definitely not an economist or the end all be all and not the smartest guy in the world, but I can try and simplify stuff down. Even I am blown away by some of the things that I've learned even just this morning. And no wonder, I, I guess now I'm thinking, no wonder the legislators were so um, hostile towards you because you were basically peeling back the, the peel and, and showing them what was underneath or showing the public what was underneath. They apparently knew this. I mean, this is not – I mean, the legislators obviously are aware of this or those who have been there for a long time are anyway. Well, I think that you know, folks like Bert Stedman were also angry that I was giving other legislators information uh, that they shielded from them right they want to hold that close to the vet that information is that information is power for them and uh and they want to be able to utilize it and uh use it as they see fit um this is part of i mean i guess this is part of my problem is that we do have some long-term legislators who are in there and they're the ones that are kind of holding all the keys to the kingdom in this kind of aspect, are you are you uh, I know you've been talking to um, uh, new legislators and you've been doing some classes on budgeting and things like that for them. Are these the kind of things that you're explaining to them in the process? Yes. Anybody who wants to hear it. And by the way, I don't know if you recall a couple of years ago, I got to meet you in person when Michael Chambers had uh, a weekend class yeah yeah legislators yeah Yeah, you came down and yeah came down and did the did the show in in studio and everything else that was a lot of fun it was um uh michael chambers tells me he's going to do it again this year so that would be that would be just terrific but anybody who wants to learn i'm happy to give them my time Donna, um, we're coming up on the break here, and I could keep you up to the top of the hour. We could talk more about this. I don't know uh, how much more you'd like to lay out for us if you have a roadmap for a solution or anything, or I could let you go now. I don't want to take up a bunch of your time. It's up to you. Well, I'll give you one more thing, um, aside from the obvious, the, the roadmap that part of what we just laid out, what Joe Geldof and I laid out was really, you know, eliminating these so-called corporations. Um, but the other big note of caution is when um, spending limit proposals come out, including Dunleavy spending limit proposal. Right. I want to caution folks that it's not just it needs to be in the Constitution. It, it needs to be written in a way so that this budget gimmickry, trickery can't be used to manipulate the limit. Right. You know, the spending limit is written based on, well, as you point out, based on how much you've spent already, which is never going to hold up because they're spending more than right. they may ever be able to. Right. But but it's also if they're based on um, the general fund. As we've talked about this morning, money can be moved in and out into other funds and to corporations and uh, uh, 
legislature or governor who want to manipulate those things generally can't. Right. They could move it if it's based on if it's based on uh, uh, past appropriations or fund limits or how much money is available. They could move all the money into the fund for a period of time during the counting period and say, "Well, here it is," and then move all those monies back out and continue to spend and 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 bust up on that limit. Yeah. So you have you have legislators there who are proposing things that I think can work. Um, you know, Ben Carpenter talked about some of them talked about basing you know using total spending um but you need to make sure you get all of it and uh you know as a as a fraction of your state's gdp for example right but we can talk we can talk about that or you can talk with members who have proposed those um but i just wanted to caution that because we see the legislative finance division and others um easily moving funds around to get them out of sight out of mind to confuse they can also manipulate some of these proposed spending limits. I think I need a flow chart, Donna. I think I need a flow chart and a slide rule so that I can figure all this out. We need a legislative economics for dummies is what we need, a class for that so we can understand it uh, and see all these things uh, on their face as they were. Like you said, uh, Bert Stedman did not like you sharing information like this with other legislators because they just don't know and the, and and – Man, we've got to shine some light on this. I really appreciate you coming on board this morning and talking about it. Um, I'm going to try and formulate an outline and some questions so that next time I have you on, uh, because like I said, I just don't know what I don't know. And I would like to walk us, maybe we do an A to Z kind of walkthrough on this whole process. Uh, next time we have you on. And maybe we talk specifically about what you see as a prime example of a good spending limit um, as well. Um, And we could talk about that as well. So thank you for coming on board. Sure. Thanks, Michael. All right, Donna Ardwin, hold the line just a second. Folks, we're out of time for this segment. We're going to be back with more in just a moment. And uh, we're going to continue. We're going to open up the lines for your calls. This ought to be interesting. What are your thoughts on what you just heard? Because... I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you. I guess I shouldn't be, but I am shocked about everything that's going on. All right, the Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Your phone call's next on the Satellite West Line. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break. Uh, one final bite at the apple for Donna. Donna, is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to touch base on or talk about? Uh, hopefully it wasn't too boring. I um, I was also going to mention that in addition to financial audits, there are there are performance audits that can be run on things like the Medicaid program to say, are the people who are receiving services actually eligible under the law? Um, Are the payments to providers within diagnostic norms, for example? And um, those things aren't aren't happening in Alaska as well. Um, Kelly Shibaka and I had somebody come in and take just a pile of Medicaid um, expenditures and they already they came up with millions of dollars in savings, but the administration cut it, shot it down. 
It's never boring, Don. I know you, you feel like it's boring, but that's only because you are up to your neck in it and understand every aspect of it. And those of us that are out here outside here, it's not boring to us at all. I'll be honest with you. Even as kind of slapdash as my interview has been with you today, um, I mean, that's a failing of me, not you, because, again, I don't know what I don't know, and I'm trying to understand the whole process. But just what you've shown us today is enough to make my blood boil a little bit and uh, and make me understand that we need a strong governor who will allow somebody like you to go in there and uh, and and fix some of this stuff. We need a we need another Donna Ardwin or we need somebody like Kelly Shabak who's willing uh, th- through the a couple different departments to go in there and clean this up. And we just don't have it right now. So hopefully a new governor will uh, will fix that fix that problem. But. Donna, thank you for coming on board. It's great, as always, to hear from you. And thank you for continue, thank you for continuing to keep an interest in Alaska because you don't have to. And um, I, for one, am extremely grateful to you for keeping your eye on what's going on here. Thank you, Michael. All right. We'll talk to you again later. Donna Ardwin, our guest here on the Michael Duke. She doesn't have to do this, folks. She got plenty of other things to work on. She, she, I mean, she's got, trust me, she's got plenty of other uh, irons in the fire. She doesn't need to keep paying attention to what's going on in Alaska, but she does. And I, for one, am extraordinarily grateful for her. And I would hope that you are as well. Um, all right. So we're going to uh, continue ahead here. We got one final uh, segment. <sighs> wow. I mean, just freaking wow that backstop and then everything else and then the corporations and the off book stuff no wonder billy toyne and those folks were so uh turned up about that i mean yeah i would be too i would be totally thanks for calling the call in line or the mic let's get that uh, we're getting the phone line set up and getting everything ready here Uh, We're going to take some calls and see what you guys have to say about this and more in the final segment of the show this morning. Wow. Wow. All right. Uh, All right. Got one line on hold. I've got, uh, I've got one other part. I've got uh, them uh, locked in and uh, squared away and we're going to uh, get their name and where they're calling from here right now. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Carlene and Cody Okay, Carlene, hold the line, my dear. It's good to hear from you, as always. Um, one of our, uh, I would say she is probably our favorite caller on the show. Not just my favorite caller, but all the listeners. All the listeners love to hear Carlene. And I don't know why I always spell Carlene with a K, but probably because I always say Carlene Kodiak. But uh, I'm sure that's not what it is, but it doesn't matter. I know who she is. We're going to talk with her here in just a hot second. Dude. Um, yeah, I, I just I can't believe that Donna continues to think that this is boring. <laughs> Every time I ask her to come on, she goes, well, I don't want to bore anybody. Donna, you're not boring. The only reason it's boring to you is because you know everything about it. And you, you know, it's it's plain as day to you. The rest of us are gobsmacked. We're just like, you know, I, we're just totally like, Wow. Uh, yeah. So anyway, good stuff. Uh, glad you're catching up. Mike says fuzzy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe I'm just now I'm getting caught up on some of this stuff. 
I'm just getting caught up a little bit on this kind of stuff. Um, we need Donna to put this down in a format that can be made into law or constitutional amendment. You know, what I think, <clears throat> what I think I'd like to do is maybe when Donna is back in the, uh, <clears throat> sorry about that <clears throat> little frog in my throat. Maybe when Donna is back in the state and she's going to be doing this kind of new, new elected, new elected official training that uh, Mike Chambers is putting together. Maybe I need to sit in on that and take some serious notes so that I can, again, I feel out of, I'm never kind of out of sorts or put off doing interviews. I love talking to people and it's never a hard thing for me. But with Donna, it's so much information. I'm trying to figure out how to, I'm trying to figure out how to frame the arguments. I'm trying to figure out how to frame the whole conversation. And it's always hard. It's always hard because I feel like we're jumping from topic to topic because I just don't know what's going on. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, uh, continuing now, uh, we're opening up the phone lines. Taking your calls at 907-433-3150, the Satellite West call-in line powered by our friends at Satellite West. You find them at SatelliteWest.com. 907-433-3150. What are, what's your hot take on what? I mean, I'm just blown away. Gobsmacked was the word I used a minute ago. Uh, I, I'm just blown away by what uh, some of the information that Donna just laid out on us. And... Um, yeah, I mean, this this whole thing is dirty, 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 dirty. Let's see what Carlene from Kodiak has to say. We always love to have her on. What's uh, going on there? Hello, Carlene. Hello, Michael. Yes, um, exciting, interesting. There's, uh, I'd love to meet Donna Arduin. But what she just described about these corporations stashing money and not being accountable and, and hiding things, I went upstairs and got my book, um, Merchants in the Temple, Inside Pope Francis's Secret Battle Against Corruption in the Vatican by Gianluigi Nuzzi, N-U-Z-Z-I. This book is it, just like what's going on in Alaska I mean, but it's a whole book's worth, and um, what she described, uh, people might not get it right away as to what's going on. So uh, this book is almost exactly like it, just really detailed. Right. Well, you know, I I don't I don't I don't deny that this is probably going on at every level of government. I mean, what we're seeing in the state of, I don't know why I'm surprised because I'm sure the federal government has got similar things that are going on. We've got money's going out everywhere. I mean, things have gotten so big that no one person can ever keep track of everything. And so I'm sure that there's a lot of chicanery and uh, lots of other stuff uh, going on out there. But this really, especially here in the little podunk state of Alaska with this kind of stuff going on, it's very infuriating. And what's really, what really upsets me is that somebody like Donna Ardwin, who's in there 
lifting the rug up, showing you the cockroaches underneath, showing you what's really going on, is treated so poorly and then axed by the administration. If I had any doubt that Mike Dunleavy was not the candidate for re-election at this point, I now have no doubt that he is not a candidate for re-election in my mind. Maybe somebody out there, maybe you guys like him, that's fine. But for my choice, he will definitely not be my choice for governor going back in, knowing that he knew these things and decided to shut them down uh, instead of act on them. That, my friends, is not boldness. It's not courage. It's not fixing what's broken. It's uh, going along to getting along, and I just can't stand it. Carlene? That's a teacher instead of a businessman, and the federal government just spends big on the military, and they don't even, they just spend it. They don't even know what, how much it, you know, they're spending. They just spend. Well, they know how much they're spending. They just have no idea where they're spending it sometimes, I think, is part of the problem, just like we do here in the state of Alaska. I mean, how many more millions of dollars are floating around in excess accounts, are sitting in different corporations? And, I mean, we've been crying poor mouth this whole time. Maybe there's been an enough money to fund the state government the whole time and we just didn't know it. That's the problem, Carlene. We can't, you know, we're working. We're working people. We've got our jobs. We're doing our own thing. We're living our lives. We're counting on our elected officials to do the right thing. And I think it's pretty obvious at this point that a lot of them are not doing the right thing. Uh, thank you uh, for coming on board, Carlene. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Let's go over here to the next caller to see who it is. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Randy, what's on your mind? Well, I enjoyed your interview just now. Um, one thing that surprised me a little bit was um, I thought I heard Donna say that she did not like SB 26 or, or something to that effect. Maybe I misunderstood her. Um, I think SB 26 is, is really great. You know, it's a, the POMV law that was passed in, in 2018 to... Uh, have a uh, limit on the year, on the uh, draw from the permanent fund, which is five percent, and uh, provide some for the government. And um, uh, it's in line with what the original purpose of the 1976 creation of the permanent fund. So what's not like what's not to like about the percent of market uh, value draw, which is a way that big funds handle their their earnings uh, yield uh, all across the country. Part of the problem is is that it opens up the both the earnings reserve and a portion of the corpus uh, to a Raider-like mentality. They can do that. Uh, it also doesn't account for the fact of the ups and downs in the market. Uh, the five-year rolling average formula of the statutory PFD always accounted for if you had a bad year, it would be folded into that five-year rolling average and it would depreciate and, and, and cause the permanent fund dividend to decline because of it. The POMV t- takes none of that into it. It just basically takes 5% of the fund, 5% of the fund, 5% of the fund, regardless of whether the fund is doing well or doing poorly. And uh, that's part of the problem with it. And yes, she did say she did not like SB 26. And in fact, we've had conversations here over the last few days about maybe it's time to repeal SB 26. I've always thought it was a mistake. That was what they tried to do in 1999. That was the vote that the people of Alaska took in 1999. It was a POMV question that they were trying to factor into the permanent fund. And the people rejected it. 83% said no. But the politicians, they want to keep ha- they want access to that money, Randy. That's what it's about. It's about politicians taking the money. Let's go over here and uh, see who else wants to sound off. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, I'm Cindy from Fairbanks. Hello, Cindy from Fairbanks. What's on your mind? Um, 
Well, it makes a lot of sense because I've been listening to your show and then all this stuff with the PFDs forever. And, and it's since Walker got the power to do whatever with our permanent son and give out whatever amount that they see fit, um, when it comes up, the, the conversation about what we're going to do with the permanent fund for the people, and stuff, it's like, uh, uh, well, we don't want to give them the full permanent fund that they deserve or they are supposed to get, so we have to find a way to wiggle it into our area for our spending and the heck with the people. And that's how it seems like it just keeps going on and on. Every year it's the same story and the same situation, and it's uh, how are we going to make this so we can keep it and give this little bit to the people right? without them being upset. Right. Well, I mean, and that's, yeah, that's part of the problem is, again, they're looking at, uh, you know, you've got a bunch of people in there who will prioritize government spending over private sector spending, who will will prioritize government spending over the people. And that's really, again, the whole push behind SB 26 originally was because they wanted access to all that money in the earnings reserve and everything else. They wanted a stationary form of income that they didn't have to worry about and they'll take it and take the PFD as well. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a horrific circumstance. Uh, appreciate you calling from Fairbanks this morning. Uh, we are out of time for today, man. That was a fast show. That stuff from Donna, my brain is still just wiggling around in the brain casing right now, trying to figure it out. Well, tomorrow's firearms Friday. We'll have a lot to talk about with a new Senate bill and uh, some other stuff we'll consider that and then maybe on monday i don't know we're gonna i now i'm intrigued we gotta dive deeper into this we need to talk more about it we will continue the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free-thinking radio be kind to one another love one another live well we will see you guys on friday tomorrow we'll see you on friday Well, thank you to everybody who tuned into the chat room today. I know uh, YouTube takes a little bit of getting used to. I know it's got a 200-character limit on its comments and everything else. I don't know. We were just having this conversation. Do I just kick one to the curb or not? I I don't know what's going on with Facebook. I don't. Maybe I just need a whole new platform. Makes my head hurt. Makes my head hurt. All right. Well... Tomorrow's another day. Uh, I want to say uh, thank you. Uh, I forgot to say thank you. Remind me to do it tomorrow. Say thank you to our brand new patron. Uh, one of the brand new members of the uh, Common Sense Corps. Oh, Herder's still having a problem with something. I'll talk to you here about that in a little bit, Herder. Um, Jen. Jen became a brand new hardcore member. Jen, thank you so much for coming on board. You can find out more about that by going to MichaelDukeShow.com, clicking on uh, join join the core, join the core, or just go to Patreon.com. All right, guys, we love you. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 